This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to Late Kick on the Air. It is Thursday night, December 23rd, year of our Lord, 2021. We are wall-to-wall jam-packed, high top downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Great reception on the Tuesday show, so much so that we will continue that theme on the Thursday show. And what I wanted to do is we get set to preview the college football playoff. Coming up next week, we'll be in Miami for Georgia-Michigan. What I wanted to do is I wanted to take a little trip back down memory lane, and I had the guys dig in the archives. Bama-Cincinnati, Georgia-Michigan. What have we been saying all year about these teams? If we were wrong, then let's show how stupid we were. If we made some good points, let's take this rare opportunity right around Christmas to praise ourselves. Because Christmas, as I've always believed, is about patting yourself on the back and helping others 50-50 either way. But what I did is I looked at the Alabama specifically early in the season and even preseason and the Alabama talk that we had on this show. Because there was the Miami throttling they had in week one. And it looked like, oh, Alabama's just going to cruise. We didn't think that was going to be the case on this show. We talked about how Bryce Young ultimately could end up being a great player. This team ultimately could end up being a national champ. But we thought that there were going to be some wobbly tire situations for Alabama, even if they rolled in week one. Also, there was a lot of talk. And you'll probably remember this. After Saban has what could very well be his best team ever in 2020, there was a lot of talk about what else he had left to prove. And we had strong feelings on that. And so we talked about that, and I want to put a bow on it now because this is the last time we'll look in the rearview mirror before we then get to talking about the playoff itself. Take a listen. This is what we had to say about Alabama throughout the season. What is the challenge remaining for Nick Saban? A lot of people ask this. In the inbox, whether it be email or Twitter or Instagram, I inevitably have anywhere from 5 to 10 people per week say something that I think it's time to address. And that something is some version of Nick Saban doesn't have anything left to accomplish. He's won so many national championships. He's number one by a country mile. If I were him, I'd retire. Well, I can guarantee you out of few assurances in life, one of them is probably that you won't find yourself in a position to say, hey, here I am right where Nick Saban was. I get why people say this. I know I joke a lot. I get why people say it. This is a very hard mentality to grasp. The mentality of the one percenter, it's extremely hard to grasp. It's extremely hard to even be exposed to it, to be around it. There are not many people. The law of mathematics, I had Colin run the numbers, and he told me that if you are dealing with a one percenter, that means the other 99% are not like that one percent. Colin, that did work out. We, we showed our work. So we did the numbers, and yes, it's really hard to find these people. There aren't many Nick Sabans walking the face of the earth in football, in government, in uh, the food service industry, wherever you reside. You don't find many of them. How do you understand this mentality? Well, if you've ever been around it, you know. Those of you who are fortunate enough to be around those ultra-elite mentally, those ultra-elite 1% types, if you've ever been around it, it totally changes your perception on the world because you watch someone who's operating on a total different plane than you are intellectually, and you never even realized it existed. Then once your eyes are open to it, then maybe you start to adjust some things in your life. Because I do believe it can be a learned behavior. I do believe it can be a learned mentality. I don't think everyone's just born either that way or they're never going to be that way. But if you see it up close, boy, it makes you rethink some things. Goals, that's not it. I think a lot of folks wrongfully look at Nick Saban and say, well, he's got a bunch of championships, and he's sent a bunch of kids to the first round, and he's won so much, and he's the all-time this, and he's the all-time that. You're looking at his bio If you're watching on YouTube, the guy's got several more first-round draft picks at this point than he does total losses at Alabama, 106 to be exact. And you look at the championships, six and counting, and you wonder, well, when is enough enough? How How many more titles can one win? Well, that only makes sense if that's his goal. That's not the goal. And this is where the detachment, this is where the disconnect, I think, comes in from a normal person thinking about an abnormal person. 
from a 99% or thinking about a 1%er. You look at Nick Saban, if you're a 99%er and you say, he doesn't have anything left to accomplish, he would listen to you say that and laugh at how stupid that sounds to him. I'm not calling you stupid. I'm saying if you said that to him, he would laugh at it because the idea of nothing left to accomplish would be stupid. But it all comes down to this thing that I think a lot of people want to believe they've bought into, but really when it comes down to it, they haven't. And I'm talking about your personal life or your professional life, whatever the case may be, because it's boring to talk about. It's so fun to talk about goals. It's so fun to talk about how you're goal-oriented. It is far less fun to talk about the process, there's that P word, that it takes to go about achieving said goals. And the only real difference between like the way a Nick Saban thinks and the way someone who's result-oriented thinks is he's not result-oriented. He is process-oriented. And so a lot of that stuff that he says that maybe you mistakenly identify as coach-speak is not coach-speak. It's an actual philosophy. It's an actual way of life. And the only goal is to maximize one's potential. If you ever, again, get to be around it, you quickly realize, I could just as soon be talking to the head coach at Alabama as I could be talking to the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. These people sound different. They think different. They live different. It's not one compartment of their life, and then everywhere else, they're just normal. There's not normalcy anywhere. They don't appear normal. If you're hanging out with them on the lake, if you're in the office with them, if you go to church with them, they think differently. If you're at lunch with them, they think differently. And he's just one of those folks, one of the very few. But that whole result-oriented deal there's beauty in the simplicity because if you're focused like he is on that whole process thing and your only goal is to maximize your results, when have you ever arrived? How do you know he's not capable of winning 27 national championships? You know, he probably walks around and thinks if we're not perfect, then we haven't accomplished anything. If perfection is the goal, you know, if maximizing my potential as a coach and maximizing this program's potential, if that's the real goal, you're telling me about the championships we've won, one, two, three, four, five, six of them at Alabama. Well, also, if you're looking at the screen right now, there's one, two, three, four, five, there's seven years where they hadn't won one. What in the world happened there? What, what may happen this next year? And so my point is, is it totally unrealistic to win a title every year and to win every game? Yeah, but therein lies the beauty. That means you've never arrived. And here's the other really, really fun aspect of this. This is where... The area is that I think Bama and Saban have totally detached themselves from the pack is the fuel source. What really throws people for a loop when they watch Alabama, when they watch Saban, is when they win, they operate with the same machine-like efficiency the following season as they did when they were on what you would call the climb. I think the detachment is you assume when they win a championship, they have completed their climb. They've arrived at the summit. Maybe that individual team has. But if it's an overall vision, if it's an overall process, then you hear those stories about him chewing out staff the next morning. Let's get out on the recruiting trail. Let's make sure we don't let our foot off the gas. That doesn't make sense to a normal person. Your whole goal is to win a championship, right? No, that ain't the goal. I, I've heard him before, both in public and in private, talk about his best teams and him talk about the best teams he's ever coached having one thing in common, and that is none of them made winning a championship the core goal of the program or the organization. It was just be committed to a process, and the process is tied into maximizing your potential. You know what just hit me? You can tell because my eyes got so big I didn't plan on talking about this. There's a former Alabama All-American, as it were, that perfectly encapsulates what the process is all about. Process over goal. Forrest Gump was his name, and he was serving in Vietnam. And boy, they were where they weren't supposed to be. Lieutenant Dan's called in air support. He's over by the river somewhere. And so it's time to get out of there. And all Forrest Gump did was what Jenny, who I have strong thoughts about as well back home, told him to do. And that is run. And so he ran. And he didn't look to his left. And he didn't look to his right. And he didn't look behind him to just make sure he was ahead of everyone else. He just ran. And then he kept running, kept running, kept running. And then after a while, he slowed down. And he looked around, and he was totally alone. Well, how in the world did that happen? Well, it happened because all he was focused on was the task at hand, and that was running. And it took care of him to the point he was so efficient in the process that that Alabama All-American kick returner turned around and went and rescued Bubba. Well, as much as he could rescue Bubba. Good for Forrest Gump. I'm not going to give you the soundbite of comparing the head coach at Alabama to that fictitious Alabama All-American because I know good and well where that soundbite would go, and it would be no good for me. However... In a much more real sense, that's what it comes down to. The rarest skill, though, is not to think like that. 
I mean, it's rare to think like that, but you can find some folks at the highest point of any walk of life. You find folks who think like that. The cream naturally rises to the top. It doesn't have to do with talent. It's got to do with mentality and grit. That's really what it's got to do with. But the rarest skill set, I want you to think about how profound this is and what you're witnessing and why it's really great. He doesn't just think like that. He gets 18 and 19-year-olds to think like that. He gets former failed head coaches to come in and rehab themselves, all while adapting themselves mentally to that process-oriented approach over a result-oriented approach. And those people look around at these celebratory endings that happen more times than not at the end of an Alabama season, and they say, wow, we didn't talk about winning a title a single time this year, and all of a sudden, it just here we are. There's confetti raining down all over the place. We ended up winning ourselves a title. That's kind of the way it can happen. The thing about the 10 percenters and really the 30 percenters, you know, let's just say it this way. The thing about one percenters is 30% of dudes you hang around think they're the one percenter. They'll say things like, oh, bro, I hate to lose. I hate to lose more than I love to win. And they have like a dolphin tattoo on their calf. Buddy, you stay losing. You don't hate to lose. You just, it sounds cool. And all the successful people you watch on TV say it, so I'm going to say it. No, the 1% of the 1%. You don't just get to expand it because, well, no one else is around here. Maybe I won't expose myself as a fraud when I say it. But he is. He being Nick Saban is one of the one percenters. So when you look at his situation in the Alabama situation and you hope to yourself, maybe he'll just get tired of winning. You cannot, you cannot finish if you've never viewed yourself as having arrived. You cannot be done with the mission if you've really never arrived. That's the way they look at it. So eventually he will retire, obviously. I just don't think it's going to come out of boredom. And it's certainly not going to come because he looks around and says, you know, I think we've gotten the job done here. I think, um, yeah, I think we're good, and I think we won. And the last thing, and some of you don't believe this, but it's, it's true. You don't make it this far in this profession without having a service-based approach to your profession. There is an endless supply of kids coming off the high school conveyor belt every year whose lives you can change. And that's really, once you get up in age a little bit and you have a little experience about yourself, you understand the value of giving back as opposed to just taking. Normally, it takes some age about yourself to acquire that kind of vision and wisdom. Then you realize at any given point, even when I retire, I'm going to have to retire and look at a high school senior and realize, man, what could I have done for him and his family that the next guy may or may not be able to do? These are the kinds of thoughts that are in the mind of someone like Nick Saban every day. I would just advise you, love Alabama, hate Alabama, learn as much as you can from it, because I don't think we've ever had something like this come through college football. We've had great coaches. We've had great leaders. There will be great coaches and leaders after Nick Saban. There will only be one greatest, and you're watching him in real time right now. Bryce Young at Alabama is obviously a guy we're going to talk a lot about during the season. That will be the starter at Alabama. I would like to know, simply, will he be able to orchestrate their offense you got so used to, last couple of years really, you've gotten so used to watching them in this machine-like fashion take people down. Last year's offense was as lethal as anything they've ever put out there. But if you think about Mac Jones and you think about the role he played, I mean, he was an assassin now. Mac Jones ends up being the best quarterback who's come through there, but Mac Jones had proven commodities around him. You knew who Najee Harris was. You knew, for example, who Devontae Smith was. You knew all those All-Americans along the offensive line. You knew who Steve Sarkeesian was. So this is not some prediction that they fall off a cliff. Far from that. What I'm saying is, unlike what Mac Jones had to do in already having proven commodities out there, Bryce Young has got to play an instrumental role in making the new commodities proven commodities. Ajay Hall, for example, we saw him flash in the spring game. If he is a household name by December, it's going to be cause of Bryce Young. If you've got John Mechie, pushing for All-American status. It's because of Bryce Young. Jaleel Billingsley, you know, if he pops on the national radar, it's because of Bryce Young. And so he's got to be a guy with newness all around him, including a coordinator that's got to orchestrate things like you would normally expect someone to have to have a few years of starting under their belt to do. At Alabama, they usually have the most talented quarterbacks in the country, so you can somewhat circumvent that. But it's still at the core of what you're looking at with Alabama this year. So that's the Alabama side of things. What about Cincinnati? We didn't do a whole lot of Cincinnati-specific talk in the preseason. You do know in August that we were talking and maintained throughout the season that if they go undefeated, we thought they were going to be in the playoff. Of course, the same folks who pushed back on that initially 
then want to redirect the argument and move the goalpost once we get proven right. Well, a lot of stuff had to happen for it to go down that way. Yeah, we thought that that was the case all along. The stuff did happen, and it did go down that way. But I don't want to talk about that. That's in the past. Um, what we're about to talk about is also in the past, but I want to actually play this part. Cincinnati, there were some kind of quarter pole, halfway marks when we started to check in on them throughout the season, uh, whether it was mid-season when they were 6-0 or other various points. It was very interesting as we go back and we listen to what we were saying about Cincinnati, how the tune had started to change nationally, and also how that whole expansionist argument of we've got to expand the playoff because they'll never let Cincinnati or any G5 team in, how that argument started to change once people realized, uh-oh, my argument's about to go up in smoke because they could actually make it. So I'm going to stick with the argument. I just have to reformulate it, kind of like Plato. Most of the times those weak arguments can be reshaped on a moment's notice because they're not founded on anything solid to begin with. Uh, let's take a listen to what we said about Cincinnati throughout the 2021 college football season. How about Cincinnati? Is it a surprise when you've won every game that you're favored in? Because they've been favored the entire way, even the, even the Power 5 games they were in. They were favored at Indiana. They covered. They were favored on the road, no less, against Notre Dame. They covered. A lot of you are trying to write off those wins. I'm not one of them. Out of all the people walking God's green earth, I'm the one who ends up carrying the water for Cincinnati. Never would have expected it in a million years, but yet here I am. If it's so easy to just win the games you're favored in, why didn't Alabama do it? Why didn't Ohio State do it? Why is Clemson not doing it? It's not that easy is the answer. It's not always easy. Some people badly misinterpret what a point spread is. I mean, a point spread, while it's not meant to just divide the actions 50-50, it's not that simple, it, it, for broad strokes purposes, is that simple. It's not like it's an actual stat. It's not a metric. It doesn't impact a football game. Humans do. And in most cases, they're very young humans. We're not all Brigham Young out here. And so, I mean, you get that weight of expectations that the Cincinnati's of the world are not used to, and they still got a long way to go, but I'm impressed by it. I know they're not lacking for credit right now, but I'll give them credit. I I'm impressed by it. I'll tell you what I'm interested in seeing, though. They're ranked number two, Colin, my AP source. I think they're ranked number two in the AP right now. I'm interested in seeing when that first playoff ranking comes out, which I think is next week, are they going to be that high? Because if they're that high, then they're not falling out if they go undefeated. I mean, I don't think that. Uh, however, if they're sitting number five or number six, you will have an ally in that pro G5 argument that you've never had before, and you're looking at him. I don't know how excited that makes you, but you're looking at it. It's a tough day for the expansionists out there because the expansionists saw another one of their lies get shattered. And that lie, of course, was no G5 team will ever make the playoff. Well, I see that Cincinnati Bearcat logo there, and I can assure you, Jesse and Colin didn't put it in there just for entertainment purposes. The Cincinnati Bearcats are in the playoff, another expansionist myth exposed. And you would think, therefore, that the expansionists are thrilled they got to be over the moon excited, right? The expansionist should be out in the middle of the street throwing a parade. Because why? Well, because their dreams were granted. They've been turned into a reality now. Of course, by dreams, I mean they're longing for a G5 team to be included. That's what this has all been about, right? The entire premise of needing to expand the playoff is because the G5s, they don't have access. And we wanted new blood. Well, there you go. You're looking right now, if you're watching on YouTube, at the playoff field. I count two. And out of four, Stats and Info tells me that is 50% of this playoff field is not only new blood, but mixed within the new blood, you've got G5 blood, that pure G5 blood. And yet all I've seen is complaining from the expansionists today. Why is that? Because they were lying to you all along. Not only were they giving the big lie, which was the G5 is not allowed in the playoff. No, there's a difference between has not been in and cannot be in. That myth has been exposed. But the much bigger myth, and the reason I've always had a problem with the expansionists is because it's never really been about what they say it's about. Those were some convenient talking points to get you in line with their thinking. All this has ever been about, at the very top of the ladder at least, has been about expansion for the sake of inclusion, merely for the sake of inclusion, which ultimately means a paycheck. Now you may think, oh, everyone says it's always about the money. Well, that's because it usually is always about the money, but that wasn't the trick. The trick wasn't a lot of people with already deep pockets wanting more and wanting deeper pockets. That's happened since the beginning of time. The trick was they had to get you on board. 
And so what do they say? Hey, guys, help us get richer. Of course not. What they say is, don't you care about the underdog? Don't you care about these poor, innocent G5s left out in the cold? These are kids, too. These players have hearts and souls, and they work as hard as those Alabama players. And how dare you support this evil four-team infrastructure that's going to leave them out in the cold? They pivoted today, and they've long since pivoted once they saw that this was becoming more and more a possibility, and they're nowhere to be found. You notice none of the expansionists were out there really taking much of a victory lap today. In fact, we on Late Kick are taking more of a victory lap than they are because it was on this program. I should have loaded this video up. It was on this very program on July 18th, the year of our Lord 2021, where yours truly, with the endorsement of Jesse and Colin, at least I think so. They didn't tell me they disagreed. We said on this show, and I maintained all year, I never wavered, that if the Cincinnati Bearcats went undefeated, they would be in the college football playoff. Well, friends, fast forward, spoiler alert, if you recorded the game yesterday, the Cincinnati Bearcats went undefeated, and they are now in the college football playoff, making it the first time a G5 team has ever made it in. My buddy Parker, misguided though he may be sometimes, he has a, a good heart, good intentions, but poor takes on the playoff sometimes. I saw him say today on Twitter, he said, Make no mistake, no glass ceiling was broken here. The only reason Cincinnati's in is because other teams lost and they had no other shot but to put them in. Uh, that's accurate. That is actually true. Uh, it's just I don't get the point. Like That's always been the path for a G5 team. It's the reason that I said what I said about Cincinnati this year. It was because I thought so many dominoes were going to be knocked down because of the hashtag renaissance season that there was going to be an open path, at least wide open enough where if a G5 team, in this case Cincinnati, took care of their business, they were going to make it in. Well, one did, and one made it in. That should always be the path for a G5 team. Fact number one, Cincinnati's in the playoff, and I think they deserve to be in this year. Fact number two, no other G5 team's ever made it in, nor, in my opinion, has any other G5 team ever deserved to be in. When we weigh all the criteria, and we weigh, to me, what is pivotal, which is strength of schedule, and the baseline that you need to meet to even be involved in this conversation, and see when we measure the rest of the landscape. You can go back to your Central Florida examples all you want to, or even go back further than that. The fact of the matter, I guess a fact in my opinion, is we haven't had a landscape like this. This is the landscape you needed. Cincinnati got the landscape. So Cincinnati comes through for us, as does Academy Sports and Outdoors. One of our most treasured sports within this show about a sport is how seamlessly we can transition into the Academy ad read. And one of my proudest moments every week is if we get an email that says, I never saw that ad read coming, which is funny because we do it at the same time every show. But if you kind of get locked in, we have accomplished our goals twofold. Number one means that we got you to totally suspend your cognitive uh, awareness of time. You're just locked in. And number two, we got you. We got that ad read to sneak up on you. But it's not an ad read. It's more testimonial. We love Academy Sports and Outdoors. We love them because they are our only partner on the show. We want it that way. We have turned down partnerships with other potential brands out there. Uh, by the week, we do that actually now because the show has gotten successful, but we are able to do it the way we do it because of Academy. Now, here's the thing. This is not just some random charity and a logo, and otherwise, they don't serve you. This is a great big sporting goods and outdoor chain. And so you can go there, whether you live in Louisiana or you live in Tennessee, or whether you live in a place where there is not an Academy Sports and Outdoors and you just have internet, you can go to academy.com. They fulfill basically every need I have in life, but certainly every one of your tailgating needs or your you know, college sports-centric merchandising needs, your gift-giving needs, they got your hookup. Academy Sports and Outdoors, and we appreciate so much that they are the exclusive partner and presenter of Late Kick Live, Late Kick Podcast, and everything in between. So we appreciate them so much. So we rolled on, and we started to shift now our attention to the Georgia-Michigan matchup. And even in the summer months, and certainly as we got into the season, there was a theme around this Georgia Bulldog team. It's the same now as it has been then, except there's no margin for error anymore, because Georgia finally lost a game in the SEC title. And it was about expectations around Georgia. And I've always had a thought about expectations. As long as they are married to your personal investment, and they correlate very favorably, I don't have a problem with high expectation. And what I mean by that is Georgia fans are fully invested. They do everything that is asked of them. So I don't mind that they have sky-high expectations there. But with that comes the threat of 
achieving at a high level and still being viewed as a failure. And that's kind of where Georgia football has been all year. There's been an understanding. We got the team to do it. Uh, for the most of the season, they were number one in the country. And so if we don't get it done, if we don't get to the mountaintop this year, how will this season be viewed? We've been talking about it the entire way. Take a listen. At Georgia, I do not believe in championship or bust with anyone, really, because bust would indicate failure. And then with Georgia, people, some of whom, take the added five steps of saying bust equals hot seat. So beat Alabama, win a title, or hot seat for Kirby Smart. Well, of course, that's ludicrous, and we've already spelled that out in parade detail on the show. I believe Georgia will have a significant bump in offensive production this year. Having said that, what if they don't? Let's just entertain this for a second. What if you've watched them in Athens build to this, and they've acquired and assembled the talent, they've always had good offensive line talent, and they've had good mixtures of talent at receiver, but they've never had it across the board like they will this year. They've got two dominant forces at tight end. They're always set in the backfield at tailback. But now, finally, what you and I have been told is the missing piece of that equation, quarterback, is finally answered. The blank is finally filled with JT Daniels. And so you are led to believe everything that's needed. All the ingredients for the meal that you've wanted to consume in the way of Georgia football for so long, they're all in the kitchen. What if it just doesn't pan out? What if they do stumble out of the gate against Clemson and the talking point after that is, all right, got to regroup, lick your wounds, nothing's lost, everything's still on the table, but they really just never hit stride. Well, then it does get uncomfortable. I'm not talking hot seat or anything like that, but it does get uncomfortable for them because people are going to look, rightfully so, and they're going to say, well, if you didn't do it this year, when are you going to do it? You remember that? Because that's what they were saying about Florida this time last year. You know, Georgia's vulnerable. The schedule path is there. Dan Mullen's got his best collection of this and that, yada, yada, yada. And in some ways they achieved, and in other ways they faltered. Well, what if Georgia looks around and you've got an ultra-green Alabama offense. you got a new everything over in Tuscaloosa. Florida's got to play LSU and Bama. You don't have to play either of them. So you got a wide-open path to Atlanta. You get a good test to begin the season. The team you theoretically would meet in Atlanta – is going to be as vulnerable as they have been in a while. If you can't get it done with the boxes checked this year, they're going to ask, when are you ever going to get it done? So if you're demanding storyline on top of your college football, there it is. There's some stuff changing with Georgia. You may look around and say, doesn't look like it's changing to me. Looks like they started off dominant and then they continue to be dominant. And from what I can tell, they're still dominant. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the results on the field, but there's something building the undercurrent of the program. Not the part of the program maybe that, like I said, the flyover national college football media types recognize and talk about a lot. But if you're on the ground, you know, if you're in Ackworth, Georgia tonight, or you're at a Waffle House down in Vidalia tomorrow morning, this is the kind of stuff you talk about. And what you're probably talking about is this is our best shot we've ever had to win a national championship. And you know what? As the folks in Vidalia and Ackworth tend to be, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. And you know what that equals? It equals pressure. And there is pressure, immense in nature, building around the Georgia program, even though, like I said, the flyover national types don't realize it right now. But there's more pressure on Kirby Smart right now than you could ever imagine. Kirby Smart already tends to be wound a little tighter than most. And so when you look at him right now, and they're an overwhelming number one, and they're blowing folks out, yet he still looks like he's about to freak out at any second on the sideline. Well, it's number one, it's because he's different, which you have to be. Number two, it's because he knows exactly what I'm saying right now is true. He puts it on himself. Those coaches put it on themselves. It seems weird, though, what I'm saying right now, and I know it does. It seems weird if you're just a casual college football fan and you don't follow Georgia any closer than just watching them on Saturday and then you watch them next Saturday, but you don't keep up with them during the week. Sounds like I'm talking negative about the program. I'm not talking negative about Georgia at all. This is not a negative. As I've said many times before, it's such a privilege to be able to coach under this kind of pressure. I mean, this guy on this monitor over here that we are um, apparently fortunate enough to have now that we didn't used to have at the old place, he gets that. I mean, he, he wouldn't want to trade places with anyone else right now. That's not a negative. Pressure's not a negative. It's a negative when you're like Sark at Texas right now. There is no postseason pressure. You know, there's pressure to make a bowl game over there. This is pressure to win a title. Yeah, Kirby Smart's all about that. That's why he took the job. That's why they hired him there. That's not a negative. What I'm just trying to reemphasize to you is there are some positives out there that are illusions. 
but they can play mind games with you. And what I'm talking about is this. You think about where Georgia football is and has been for several weeks now. Because weeks turn to months. And the weeks have now turned to months with Georgia. Started out where they opened against Clemson, right? And Clemson was favored. So Georgia hasn't even been favored in every game they've played this year. But they beat Clemson. And defensively, it was an emphatic performance. And so they beat Clemson. Ever since then, they've been up there. They've been either two or one in most polls. And now they're number one. So Georgia starts to get a lot of credit after that Clemson win. And over the next several weeks, they climb to number two or number one in most polls. And then the weeks turn to a couple of months and you get blowouts. And then you get some players being added to award watch lists. And you get a lot of love, like I said, in the polls. And then here come the playoff rankings. And we've got love in the playoff rankings. And people are not only telling us we're number one, but they're talking about how big a gap there is between Georgia and then the rest of the country. All that's happening right now. Nothing about that's bad inherently, but you got your bowl projections coming out. Georgia's going to play this team in the semifinal. They'll play this team in the national championship. Here's the mind game that plays on you. If you're not careful, it makes you feel like you've accomplished something. It's not worth anything. I don't care if that is 10 gallons of water that just got poured out of a giant bucket. If there's a hole in the bottom of the apparatus that is used to receive the liquid, you don't have anything. Nothing got caught at the end of the day. Bowl projections aren't worth anything. You don't win anything because of that. They don't give you a trophy for being ranked number one in October. But the mind game comes into play when all of a sudden you get to December and you realize, wait a second, it feels like there's been so much positivity, but I just realized something. We're playing Alabama this Saturday. And even though I think there's a big gap, and even though everyone's told me there's a big gap between us and Bama, we're favored by four and a half. That number doesn't look big. Guys, what if we lose Saturday? Or here's the worst one. What if you get in a semifinal game against Ohio State and you lose? Do you realize how quickly and how violently things change around the Georgia program and the perception of Kirby Smart, how quickly and violently it changes? Because all of a sudden you go from thinking we've never had a season with this many accolades heaped on top of us and this many positives spoken about us. You go from that to over the span of four quarters and three and a half hours realizing this team accomplished less than the 2017 team did. For all the special nature that we thought this team had, it accomplished less. So that's how quickly this can change. And that's how little all the stuff that's adding up in the regular season matters. Georgia's doing what they're supposed to right now. But they're taxiing. You know, if you're at the airport, they pull you away from the gate. You don't just go up in the air. You taxi for a little while. And you get in line and you wait your turn. But eventually, when you got those bright white stripes on the runway and you see them under you, you know what that means. It means you're clear for takeoff. And when they open up those throttles full speed and you're on that runway, you're just sitting there and everything's got to work. Because at that point, you're going too fast, you can't slow down, and you're about to take off and you just hope everything's in place and the nuts and bolts are in place and those wings and flaps are at the proper angles or else, well, you crash. I don't want to speak that into existence. I fly a whole lot, but that's what would happen. Look, come December, they're going to open that throttle up. There is no more taxiing. There are no more pretend accolades. It's time to play for the real trophy. And that's still a few weeks away, but unlike the other things that are kind of fantasy world and it really doesn't matter, it's not tangible, there's nothing in your trophy case because of that, here's the reality. When you get to that point, you get to the playoffs, there's no more margin for error. And the reality is Georgia is currently in a 41-year national title drought, and the reality is they are ripe with talent in a year that's never been more tailor-made for them to win a national championship. And they know it. Everyone, from Valdosta to Clayton, they know it there. I'm from Georgia. My home is Georgia. I know good and well what people are thinking there. Everyone believes it's their year. How do you argue with that? Nationally, everyone believes it's Georgia's year. And that's all well and good. As long as it becomes Georgia's year, it will be the stuff of legend. The guy who finally wins a national title at Georgia for the first time, since a lot of our audience has been alive, will be an instant legend there. I'm just telling you, if it doesn't happen this year, and those folks are convinced, as am I, that this could very well be the best shot they've ever had and maybe, for all we know, will ever have to win a national championship with the rest of the landscape void of other elite teams. You have never seen the perception of a program and a head coach so violently shift in the snap of a finger like it would if they were to go down in the playoffs. So I'm not saying that to be negative. Again, it's a privilege to get to this level to deal with that pressure, but you cannot imagine the pressure on Kirby Smart in Georgia right now. It feels so calm. It feels so serene. You're watching them just cruise, and you can't tell, but underneath, they know it. In the state of Georgia, they feel it right now. So it is going to be white-knuckle city 
when they get to the SEC championship game and then really when they get in the college football playoff because they'll be there regardless unless complete disaster strikes between now and then. You have never seen a program under more pressure than the Georgia program will become playoff time. For the sake of my hometown brethren, I hope they get it done. I really do because the alternative, I'd probably just stay in Nashville for a while. I probably just wouldn't even go home. You think in your mind, be honest, you think Georgia's the best team in the country right now. They've got Stetson Bennett at quarterback. God bless Stetson Bennett. And let me just give you a little side note that has nothing to do with the Big Ten. One of the popular talking points in my home state right now is, do we even need JT Daniels? Because Stetson's doing what we need him to do, and we've got a rock-solid defense. Let me be unequivocal in this. No, you don't need him to beat Auburn. You will absolutely need JT Daniels to win a national championship. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. That coaching staff knows it. Talked to a coach the other day. They know this. They're not winning a championship with Stetson Bennett. If you think they are, it's because you got amnesia, and you don't remember that far back, and you don't remember what wins in this game, not in November, but in late December, January, when you got to win those extra couple of games, you got to be able to throw the football down the field. You're not winning games the way they're doing it right now. So the way they're doing it right now is great. Stetson Bennett has been great. I think he's a very good quarterback. In fact, I think he was a little underrated even last year. But the goal there is not to win 10 games. The goal there is not the Verbo Citrus Bowl. The goal there is SEC championship, semifinal win, national championship win. Yes, friend, you will need JT Daniels to do that. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All that's normal. That talk about Georgia, you know, that kind of falls in line in some shape, form, or fashion with what everyone else was saying. But now we get to probably my proudest moment of the year. And that was sometime during the preseason when we started to talk about Michigan football. Now keep in mind, at that time, Jim Harbaugh has just restructured his contract. And he did that in lieu of being fired or leaving Michigan. Uh, there were not high expectations. People thought it was a matter of when, not if, Harbaugh was just going to be gone. And here they are in the college football playoffs. One of the greatest stories in the last several years in this sport. And it has to fall right in line with one of the best cinematic masterpieces in the history of Earth. And that, of course, is the movie Twister, which is far beyond just a storm-chasing movie but it is a movie centered around storm chasing, which is my second passion in life behind what we're doing right now. And you can catch me out on the road during the spring. In fact, the next time we play these best of shows may very well be when I am storm chasing in the spring and cannot be in the studio. Because yes, it is in my contract that I get to do that. However, insurance does not cover me out there. That's not what you're here for. What I want you here for, and I want you zoned in if you haven't heard a word I've said elsewhere tonight, and listen to what I thought was our finest hour in 2021. And that is drawing comparisons, point for point, between Jim Harbaugh's career and the plot line to the movie Twister. Without further ado, take a listen. I was thinking the other day, as I was watching the movie Twister, which is, for my money, one of the greatest pieces of American cinema ever created. But then, I had it in the back of my mind, and I was working on some Michigan stuff the other day. And it came to me that Jim Harbaugh has been living out the plot to Twister 
for his entire tenure at Michigan. If you remember Bill Paxton and Twister, and you remember that story arc, you need only apply it to Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, and you realize these are the same people. One's real, one's a character, but these are the same people. And if you have never seen Twister, shame on you. Do yourself a favor. If you have seen Twister, I want you to sit back for a second wherever you are. If you're driving around, don't close your eyes, but take yourself with me on a little journey for the next few minutes, and I want you to think about how uncanny the parallels are between Bill Paxton and Twister and Jim Harbaugh, real-life Uncle Jim at the University of Michigan. And this story does not have a conclusion to it. You know how Twister ends. We don't know how the Michigan story ends. First point, do you remember at the beginning of Twister, Bill returns. He's gone off to be a weatherman. He's left the storm chasing in his rearview mirror, but he's back. He returns to the chase life. He's got Dorothy on the back of the truck. They're going to try and get her up in a tornado so that they can learn a lot more about atmospheric science. We'll learn more in 10 seconds than we have in the past 30 years was his line. Everyone was happy and overjoyed. Everyone viewed that as a fresh start. I remember where I was when I heard about Jim Harbaugh being hired at Michigan. I remember making such foolish statements as Urban Meyer. Boy, he's about to hear footsteps really quick. I even equated it, friends. Believe it or not, I'm man enough to admit it. I even equated Jim Harbaugh entering the Big Ten via Michigan to Nick Saban entering the SEC via Alabama as it related to Urban Meyer. I thought Jim Harbaugh was going to have that kind of impact at Michigan. Well, uh, there is no need to do the spoiler alert here. We have seen him so far go winless against Ohio State. But that's only one chapter. That's only the very beginning. Everything's bright. Everything's rosy. It is sunshine and rainbows right now. And then we start to get a little bit into the movie, and Bill starts to flex. He wants to show he's not rusty, and so they get in their first tornado chase of the day. Very rare day where you get like half a dozen tornadoes out there near Wakita, Oklahoma. And so he grabs Helen Hunt's seatbelt, says, fasten your seatbelt, and he takes him off-road. Now, granted, this is only an F1, but F1s can still do damage if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jim Harbaugh flexed, too, just like Bill Paxton did to start this movie. Jim Harbaugh flexed. I was in Columbus, Georgia, when Jim Harbaugh went on his satellite campaign, his satellite camp campaign, to put a finer point on it. There I am in the newsroom one day, and Jim Harbaugh is doing a satellite camp in nearby Prattville, Alabama. It's just north of, of uh, Montgomery. And, oh, man, all the Southern folks were up in arms. I mean, they were grade-A triggered by this. And then Harbaugh shows up on your local news, shirtless, running around in khakis. It's 95 degrees in Prattville in the summer, at least. And he's running around shirtless in khakis over there, playing some kind of bastardized version of football. I'm not quite sure what they were doing. But everyone was bent out of shape. And Jim Harbaugh was flexing, and there were some people that were misguided enough to believe that the University of Michigan was about to fundamentally change recruiting in the South because Jim Harbaugh ran around with saggy nipples in Prattville, Alabama for the better part of an afternoon. Again, a spoiler, it didn't quite work out that way, although Michigan has made a little bit of noise. Nico Collins, for example, from Clay Chalkville, that's a big-time receiver talent that they ended up pulling. So it was not without merit. They ended up putting the kibosh on it, but it wasn't without merit. We continue to Chapter 3 because here come the clouds a little bit. As the story develops, Bill, back on the storm chasing scene, is reintroduced to his old nemesis, his old foe Jonas, Jonas Miller. He's a night crawler. They all started out together, but then Jonas went out and got himself some corporate sponsors. Remember why? Because he was in it for the money, not the science. It sounds about like some of you trying to expand these conferences, by the way. Well, how does this parallel Jim Harbaugh? Well, Jim Harbaugh ran up against his old nemesis, too. Just as Bill Paxton was reintroduced to Jonas Miller, the nightcrawler there, we also had Jim Harbaugh get right back in the middle of that Ohio State rivalry after being checked out for a while. And it hurt. And they got their nose bloody. And they were competitive, but they still came out on the wrong end. And so early on, we start to see a little up and a little down. We got a little ebb and a little flow. It's not supposed to be easy. We understand that, okay? It's early. It's still fine. We're still very early on in the tenure. And once we get Michigan built the way that Jim Harbaugh can build Michigan, and we've got everything under his thumbprint, it's going to be okay. It's a long game. Believe in the process. We'll eventually bypass him. And so what we need is we need the reset, right? And so one of the most 
beautifully constructed scenes in Twister or any movie is the timeout they take when they go to Aunt Meg's house. And if you've ever watched a Ronco Grill infomercial late at night and you just watch them do the set it and forget it and then they pull the finished product out of the oven and you just salivate and then you go to Crystal because it's 2 a.m. and there's nowhere else to go, that's what it was like watching those steak and eggs and mashed potatoes and Meg's gravy as its own food group, according to the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. That scene was great, mouth-watering. And it was a reset. You got some bad tornado experience early in the day. That's cool. Sometimes you just got to reset. Well, what did Jim Harbaugh do to reset? Well, he took his team to Rome. They just packed up over the course of a spring, and they said, spring football, so yesterday. No, 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 no. We're going to Rome. We got a donor up here that's willing to fit the bill. I think it was like seven or $800,000. That's even more than Colin makes. And they go to Rome. And a lot of people were up in arms about it. I don't know why, but they were doing something different. It was the great Michigan football reset. We're going to brand ourselves. We're a national brand, and we're going to show you even maybe we can be an international brand. So while Bill Paxton enjoyed Meg's famous gravy, Jim Harbaugh just went to Rome and took his entire team with him. So this is where it really gets good. Because there is some drama that eventually arises, and it's domestic drama. It's the worst kind of drama. It gets really tough because they got to leave Aunt Meg's house early because they got one, F2, F3. They got to get on the road. It's going to be hilly terrain, and it's a jumper, and it's tough, and they can't get Dorothy up in the funnel, but something worse happens. There is a very dramatic and very raw scene between Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt right there as the sensors roll down the hill and the pack is wasted, and for the first time, we realize there is trouble in paradise, and there's a lot more going on here than just trying to chase tornadoes. That domestic squabble, that's the worst kind of squabble. And let me tell you what the worst kind of drama is for the University of Michigan. It's getting beat by Michigan State. And it's getting beat by Michigan State a couple of times in a couple of years. And I remember vividly, not the, oh, we had trouble with the snap game. I'm talking about a couple of years later, one or two years later, when they lost 14 to 10. Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton are standing there in the middle of a downpour. So was Michigan. John O'Corn at the helm under center, and they turned it over not one, not two, not three, not four, but five times in a monsoon, the likes of which the Amazon rainforest would be bashful at watching. And they lost to Michigan State in Ann Arbor, 14 to 10. Not only that, they proceeded to go four and six over their next 10 games starting that day. And that spanned over the bowl game and then into the next season. And that's really where things got uncomfortable. And if you want to pinpoint it now, there are a lot of different areas you can pinpoint but that's where people really started to sour to a much larger degree than they had previously on Jim Harbaugh. And so you know how the next couple of years go. And we understand that eventually you're trying to get to a conclusion here. One way or the other, if you're a college football fan, I mean, if it's going to work out, great. If it's not going to work out, show me something definitively. And boy, this is where we crescendo. Because it's time, and it's finally time. We only got one Dorothy left. And Bill Paxton looks at Helen Hunt. And he says, we got to make it happen. This is it. Last time. And they go chase down that F5 and they cut up the Pepsi cans and they weigh the pack. And then one of them gets wasted. And then he loads it in the back of the truck, drives the truck into the F5. Dorothy's flying, but we may be too. Because as EF5 tornadoes tend to do, it takes a jarring right turn and heads right for them. So what do they do? Well, they find some random pipes that go down about 30 feet and they anchor to them. Because if you do that, you might have a chance. And that's where they are now. Here's the good part. They survive, and all's well that ends well. And not only do they win by surviving, they also make Dorothy fly, and it changes atmospheric science forever. And right now, that's where Jim Harbaugh is. I mean, that man stood on the podium last week and said, and I quote, we're going to beat Ohio State or we're going to die trying. And so they are absolutely at Michigan right now in the final scene of Twister. It was a happy ending there. But they just came off a two and four season at Michigan. Everything was sort of restructured to send a very loud message this past summer and this past spring. And, and remember the whole contract drama to say, we're keeping you here, but there is no long rope. Uh, we're not extending anything. We're not cementing ourselves into anything. You've got to get it done this year. Now, at least the good news is everyone gets it. The fans get it. I think the coaching staff gets it. There's a lot of pressure. You get paid a lot of money. It's a privilege to coach under that pressure, but that's where they are. 
Now, I hope, for the sake of Michigan fans, that things turn out happy. But you got to go through that tornado to do it. You got to go through the Big Ten to do it. You're going to be an underdog against Washington. You're going to be an underdog a few times this year before you even play Ohio State. And there are several critical factors that have to fall into place here. Quarterback's got to get worked out. Hopefully, J.J. McCarthy gets to show you what he can do eventually. But it's not just a quarterback thing. They got to get a lot faster. They got to leverage the speed, the perimeter speed at wide receiver they have. They've got to do it. I felt and still do feel like Josh Gaddis may have been the right button to push bringing in as an offensive coordinator. But he's not walking into Alabama. He came from Bama. You walk into Michigan, you don't have four eventual first-rounders just chilling in your wide receiver room. That's a little bit different world. You walk into Michigan, you got to go find them yourself. And then, in Xavier Worthy's case, you got to make sure that they're on campus when you start the season. So, worthy or no worthy, Michigan's got enough horses to compete. They got to do more than compete because you're not paying the guy what you're paying him to compete. And you don't want to just compete if you're Michigan. So I'm sitting there watching Twister the other day and I realized, my goodness, might I already know how things work out for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Uh, one final reminder, by the way, if you have never listened to the Twister soundtrack, that alone would convince you to watch the movie. So criminally underrated. But that was a little fun trip for me because uh, I'd be talking about Twister and college football even if you weren't watching. So thank you for watching. And now we simply wait to see how the movie ends. I could ramble on for another two minutes. I'm not going to. I, again, really thought that was our finest hour. We can only hope to achieve at that kind of level. That's kind of the standard. That's the bar that we reach for. Notre Dame wants to play like a winner today. We just want to bring that Jim Harbaugh Twister energy every day. And if we can do that, then I think we have delivered for you. Uh, thanks again to our entire crew for putting these shows together. Producer Jesse, all of our PAs, Director Colin back there. Uh, that is not easy to do. That is a lot of exhaustive work, but you got to go through an entire catalog of material. But I appreciate the guys for doing that. appreciate you for tuning in. Really interested to see your comments on that. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh, and make sure you're subscribed to the 24-7 YouTube channel and the Late Kick Podcast. That's about all we have for you tonight. Until next time, for our entire crew here, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your evening. Merry Christmas, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.